Get about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk all about the fixed income market. How volatile it's been, what to look for, for clues on where it's going, and how to position your portfolio. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have Dustin Reed, our fixed income strategist, back. Dustin, the past two to four weeks have been uh, certainly a lot to talk about on the fixed income side. We've heard from many central banks around the globe, uh, some with mixed messages, really, and certainly some fairly volatile movements out of the short end of the curve. How do you? What do you make of all of this? Yeah, for sure. Thanks very much, Matt, for uh, for having me back. It's good to be here. Uh, it, it has been an exceptionally busy uh, three four weeks in. Uh, and particularly in the fixed income, uh, and to a slightly lesser extent, the, uh, the currency space, uh, particularly on the sovereign side, with uh, G10 central banks having uh, a lot of messaging, uh, and some would say uh, some not necessarily consistent messaging, that have uh, caused uh, a significant amount of what I would call uh, price uh, disruption uh, at the front end of uh, most, uh, or at least many G10 curves. Um, just to to take a look back for a second, I would say that uh, the, the Bank of England really started to get things started three or four weeks ago, um, mostly mostly around uh, Governor Bailey's comments with respect to um, uh, suggesting that uh, the recent move higher in energy prices was uh, something that the bank would have to potentially tackle uh, and get on top of. Uh, you know, when you have these uh, energy price spikes, they're generally considered, not always, but generally considered to be uh, supply side spikes. And it's debatable whether uh, central banks with respect to monetary policy and you know, central banks toolkits can actually uh, have a significant impact on that. But nonetheless, um, I, think, I think Governor Bailey at some point uh, on a weekend actually suggested that it would need to get involved to try and um, try and lower uh, what was becoming somewhat entrenched longer-term inflation expectations. And that commentary, which I believe was on a Sunday a few weeks ago, really sparked a pretty significant rally in the front of the curve for most central banks. We're seeing it in Canada and the U.S. to a point in, uh, in Europe, um, and obviously it was happening uh, in the U.K., and uh, that that obviously got got things going, uh, and you had uh, various central banks with their various own calendars, kind of working around how to how to message that um, how to message that uh, you know, policy policy change go forward from from a market's perspective, and. Uh, and one of the more interesting things I think was um, as we kind of moved through that uh, over the la- over the last few weeks, we saw the Reserve Bank of Australia, who had had a um, a yield curve control uh, policy in in effect for its essentially its de facto three year bond, its April twenty twenty four bond, and trying to keep a yield curve control at ten basis points. Uh, essentially, uh, the, the RBA decided to forego that and. After spending about a billion dollars, uh, Australian uh, defending it on a Friday, 
uh, by the following week, they decided that market forces were too much and and would not and they would not continue that that yield curve uh, control policy uh, as front end rates move from kind of twenty to forty to fifty to seventy to eighty basis points. And uh, you started to see the market really um, really move away in the front end, and uh, it was quite uh, you know quite significant. Now over that time as well, we also had a Bank of Canada meeting, and this was happening as all this very interesting. Uh, commentary and price action was was going on, and at the time, uh, going into the meeting, or at least very close to the meeting, the market had priced in, I would say, at least 125, if not 150 basis points worth of hikes by the Bank of Canada uh, for next year for 2022, and that was. Uh, that was catching a lot of people off guard in terms of the ferocity of the move and the aggressiveness of the move and uh, and what the bank and what the bank would say. And obviously, the October meeting for the bank was a, a forecast meeting, so it gave the bank a uh, a real time press conference uh, later in the morning after the announcement. And uh, you know, we could potentially expect a bit of a pushback, and we really didn't get a huge pushback uh, from the bank uh, in terms of um, suggesting that. Uh, the market was was way was way out of whack, um, and in fact, uh, there was some talk, including myself, I think maybe even on these podcasts, that suggested we could see the the bank push the output gap a little bit uh, further out in terms of getting to equilibrium, which would, in theory, the way the bank's been explaining things, uh, push out the the timeline for when the bank may start hiking rates. Well, in fact, the bank. Uh, the bank actually brought it forward by a quarter, roughly. So the bank had been looking at uh, the second half of next year is when it expected to close the output gap, and it brought that forward by a quarter to sometime uh, in Q2 or Q3, so between April and uh, and September, uh, catching a few people, including myself, off guard, particularly because the uh, the growth forecast had not been coming in at a pace uh, that I thought would be consummate for um, the bank to move it forward, but it's obviously thinking that uh, things are going to make up uh, pretty pretty quickly. So that essentially helped to uh, uh, entrench what uh, what hawkish pricing was already happening with the market. So again, with the Canadian curve, what the the result of that was that you saw a pretty big a pretty big move higher in, uh, and it was already moving higher anyway. But you were seeing you saw a pretty big move higher in the front end of the curve, and um, and those and those front end rates were getting uh, were getting validated. So. So that's kind of uh, what's been happening. Obviously, there's been a lot of other stuff around. Uh, sure. You know, the the Fed is obviously very, very important here. We can talk about that, of course, if you want. Um, you know, as well as uh, you know, market positioning and and what I think might be happening for the rest of the year, and then kind of how uh, curve shapes might be, uh, you know, might be moving, whether it's steepeners or uh, or flatteners. I, I do want your opinion on the Fed, but before we turn to that, I'm just sticking with the Bank of Canada, uh-huh. uh, and you reference the uh, 125 to 150 uh, hikes in 2022. Um, what's your sense of that? Does that seem overly optimistic, uh, or do you think that uh, we're the economy's on track to be able to uh, withstand that, or, or that it would justify those types of hikes? That seems aggressive to me at this point. Um, I, I don't think the bank is going to hike. So the, uh, the bank is probably not going to hike rates until it has confirmation that it has closed the output gap or the output gap is in equilibrium, which basically means that um, there's no more uh, there's no more slack in the economy, at least as the, at least as how the bank defines it. And uh, in, in previous lives or previous cycles, the bank may, 
uh, as it thinks it's getting uh, close to closing the output gap, it would hike rates in anticipation of getting there. But now, right. kind of post-COVID, it's more a an outcome-based forward guidance. And, you know, first of all, that has to, A, continue to be the case, and, and B, you have to believe the bank that it's going to actually follow through on that, which I do. Um, mm -hmm. But that's the difference now versus before. So it is a bit different if the bank is to be believed and they stick to that that, that mantra. So the bank now believes that the output gap is going to be closed between Q2 and Q3 uh, next year in the, somewhere in that six month window. Um, I, I, I personally think that 125 or 150 basis points next year is, is challenging for a couple of reasons. One, I think inflation, while still elevated, and you know, we've talked about that a lot, will, sure. um, will be on the downslope in the middle of next year. So it'll still be increasing, but it'll be increasing at a at a much slower pace, um, and not you know not five percent. So I think that's one, and I think it's tough to have aggressive rate hikes in the face of that. Secondly, you know the economy here is quite heavily tied on the real estate uh, side, both from a GDP perspective uh, as well as um, where you know Canadians take their um, their mortgages in terms of. It's five year, you know, a lot of five year variable mortgages and, and the right. variable rate mortgages are obviously uh, relatively prominent here. And, you know, a 30 year fixed uh, mortgage, which is very often the case in the U.S. is generally not uh, the case here. Um, so the 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 housing market and therefore the economy is a lot more tied to that. And I think the bank is well aware that by hiking uh, short-term rates or hiking the bank rate that would, um, in theory, uh, take two, three, and five rates significantly higher, um, that, that would cause a, a pretty significant slowdown relatively quickly. And I think the bank is, is sensitive to, to, try to, not, to try to not do that. So I think that um, I think 150, 125 basis points is, 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 pretty, is pretty aggressive. Uh, and and we will see how how the bank wants to has to, wants to massage it. I mean, I'm still in the on the U.S. side. I still think that um, there is this outlier case that really isn't a small tail risk anymore. That the bank that the Fed could start clipping uh, or sorry hiking rates by 50 basis points when it when it gets going. Um, oh, okay. and, and if that and if that's the case in the U.S., then uh, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case for the bank here, but as always, the bank here doesn't want to get too far ahead of sure. the Fed, uh, given it, we are a relatively small, on a, on a global scale, relatively small uh, open market economy that is, uh, you know, that's very very tied to trade with the U.S. And obviously, a significant appreciation of the Canadian dollar, you know, would have a pretty significant Im impact on on our exports and, and, and that would be another, you know, another, another uh, fall in the growth rate or at least slowing in the growth rate, which I don't think the bank wants. So um, those are a few reasons why I don't think the bank's going to be, the bank, bank can is going to be overly aggressive for, for 2022, at least from, from a market perspective, but it does feel like, and Macklem actually even spoke on the weekend, governor Macklem uh, recording something on Friday and it went to, it, it got uh Got published on uh, on Sunday on one of the I think it was on Question Period on one of the Canadian networks and uh, he seems pretty 
pretty confident that the bank is a going to be hiking next year and that it will be hiking somewhere in the in the middle quarters call it q2 and q3 okay good uh, great context uh, let's let's indeed move to the fed uh, now sure uh, you, you just referenced uh, a uh, what you think is not a tiny tail risk of 50 basis point increases um, what's going I guess what's going behind that uh, prediction or, or that idea that the markets might be not pricing that appropriately and maybe tie in some comments on what's happened most recently with uh, tapering and also uh, interest rate height expectations in general. Sure. So just hiking expectations, because it's good to have a baseline, I think, just to start the conversation. So the market sure. is basically priced for around, I'll say 60 basis points for next year, depending how you calculate it, whether you use kind of Fed funds or Euro dollars or OIS or you know, and various various calculations, but let's say around 60, 65 basis points for uh, for next year, and some of that can be seen when you look at the the strip, the strip, the future strip um, in in Q two. Although I would say that after last week's uh, meeting, that the uh, the probabilities around uh, hikes have come down um, overall, as well as uh, starting in in Q two of next year for the Fed. So that's kind of the the baseline. So that that's where we're at. Um, the inflation numbers in the U.S. continue to be pretty hot. I would say hotter than here. Um, around the time that this uh, podcast probably gets published, we'll have the, the CPI data for the, the inflation data for October, uh, which is coming out on Wednesday. And it's going to be uh, very, very close to a uh, 6% um, on, on, an annual, on an annual basis. And uh and that that is obviously a pretty a pretty significant number for those of us that are uh, that have been in markets for the last twenty years or so. We really haven't seen uh, anything anything quite at you know at those at those uh, at those levels. Uh, you have to kind of go back to the mid. Sorry, the, I would say the actually the early nineties in, in Canada to see levels that are that are running running at that pace. Um, and so you know if if we and as we did have these conversations six months ago. You know, I think I think uh, the Fed in May, in June, uh, and July were saying things around the idea that uh, you know, tra uh, transitory. You know, it's not going to last that much longer. Things are going to things are you know things are going to get better pretty soon. Um, you know, expect inflation to come down by year end, uh, particularly I would say in, in May and June. And here we are, the first week of November, and uh, maybe even the second week of November, and it's not it's it, it's not there, it's not it's not even it's not even close, and right. it's and it's and it's probably not coming down anytime soon. I would say so. So the transitory nature of the expectation of inflation to s at least slow down or at least uh, or at least increase at a slower pace has clearly not come to fruition by by the Fed. And this this higher for longer inflation dynamic, whether that's demand do, demand uh, induced, whether that's uh, energy induced, whether it's supply chain induced, the reality is it's all three, and it's coming together and causing somewhat of a perfect storm to keep prices, I would say, higher than expected and 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 higher for longer than than people expected, is probably not going away anytime soon. And by that, I would I would say in in quarters. So I think we'll be dealing with this well into late Q1 and, and probably Q2 next year, uh, not only in the US, but also also in Canada. And um, I think the Fed you know, wants to probably finish and it's, its tapering cycle. 
it clearly started its tapering cycle at the November meeting, which became very well telegraphed. And we got, you know, what the market had expected, which was uh, an announcement, a B15, one, five billion a month. And, uh, and there was talk in the weeks going in that because of the, the, the Fed's buyback program, that it could start as soon as this month, um, which it looks like it will. Um, so the Fed is essentially pre-committed to a November and a December taper of 15 uh, billion a month uh, each, uh, which will take it down to 90 in theory. And then at the December meeting, uh, assumingly it will announce the uh, the January and probably February numbers. And we'll see at the December meeting if it opts to um, accelerate that that tapering program. At this point, I don't think it will, but that is very much TBD and and the uh, and the inflation numbers this week, I think, will will be a, a chunk of that a chunk of that story. But I don't think the Fed wants to hike rates while it tapers. There are probably a couple of hawks that wouldn't mind doing it, but I think that it wants to unwind. So basically, assuming that they do eight, uh, sorry, assuming they do fifteen billion a month, and they, they it's it is a relatively steady and consistent. That's eight months to get to the to wind out to wind down the hundred and twenty billion that they started at. And that takes them to mid-June. And in theory, the Fed would love to have a little bit of space between the end of taper and the beginning of hikes. Um, but that narrow that window, which was probably six months, preferably, I would say six or nine months ago, has clearly narrowed. Uh, and I would say it's probably three months at best now. And that's why I think the market's getting very excited around potential hikes by the Fed at, in Q3 at the July meeting. Um, and that's why I think the market remains fully, you know, fully priced there. So I think that's where, you know, that's kind of the base case. And I think the risks around that are probably earlier rather than later. The, the, uh, the, the employment dynamic is a, is a very important dynamic here that should not be forgotten by the market and investors. Obviously, inflation gets a lot of attention. You know, we've spent a lot of time on inflation this year, but we've also spent a lot of time on the, the other part of the dual mandate, um, the, the the labor market mandate. And I say that here because I think we're seeing uh, the, the early innings of a discussion around uh, labor force participation and are, are people that the Fed and others thought who would come back to the labor market after the pandemic, um, we're, we're seeing them not show up. We're seeing them not come back, particularly particularly at the older end of the, you know, of the age spectrum, uh, you know, for workers, people maybe in their late 50s, 60s uh, type, uh, you know, type age. But we've also seen uh, a little bit of a fall in what I would call prime age uh, participation. And that, I think, has the Fed a little bit puzzled um, because we're not seeing, and I think I, I would call prime age kind of 25 to 55. Um, okay. You're not seeing that participation rate move up, and uh, or at least as quickly as I think the Fed thought it would bounce back, and that's starting to cause some academic discussions within the Fed around: uh, is you know ha- are there structural changes to the labor market that we haven't necessarily picked up up on yet? And this is it sounds academic, but it's important because the Fed wants to get back to max employment before it really starts to hike rates again not dissimilar to where the Bank of Canada is on the output gap. It wants to close the output gap and then hike rates. Well, similarly yeah. with the Fed, it wants to achieve a certain amount on the inflation side, you know, through the flexible average inflation targeting, which I think it's it's done. 
or close to done at this point, uh, but it's not there yet on the employment side. So where, so where is that? And I've generally put a, a line, a line in the sand uh, at around three and a half percent for max employment. Um, but if the labor market it has structurally changed uh, and people aren't going to come back to the labor force, then it's possible that the the max employment or max unemployment uh, uh, level is not quite where the Fed thought. And I'm uh, at least now without really because uh, it, it's just starting. And I think the, this is part of the stuff I'm going to be working on the next uh, little bit. But I would just I would just ballpark it at maybe 0.3 or 0.5 percent. Uh, right. In terms of where where that number might change, so maybe that max employment number actually isn't as low as I thought. Maybe it's right. closer to four, or maybe three eight or four or something in there. And and that's important because that means the goalpost. That means the goal line just moved uh, potentially. And if that's and that's important because that means it's potentially you know earlier to when the Fed can give a check mark to when it actually got to. Um, achieving its uh, sustainable forward progress with respect to both its mandates, inflation and the and the labor market, which means it would hike rates maybe sooner and or more aggressively depending on where the inflation story is there. So that's kind of the the, the links in the chain, so to speak. And I think it's uh, so that that's a dynamic that I think is emerging again. It's uh, with with respect to the the max employment story and the participation rate story, and it's 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 TBD. And I think we'll see a lot of Fed speakers touch on it. In the you know in the six weeks here that we've got roughly between uh, the November Fed meeting and the mid December uh, Fed meeting, uh, and, and I think that you know we need a little more a little more uh, detail around that, but because I think that's that's going to give that's going to give the market a bit more a bit more uh, a bit more detail. So I think that's um, yeah I think that that's kind of an emerging thing that uh, you know we're following with respect to you know how quickly the Fed and the market may start start pricing and raise. But for us and for me especially, I think. Uh, the risks are earlier rather than than later uh, because I feel like this December FOMC meeting is shaping up to be uh, pretty hawkish, both with respect to the dots and with respect to where I think uh, the central tendency for core PCE will be for 2022, because uh, it will be a forecast round for the Fed, and where the uh, where it expects the unemployment rate, the central tendency around the unemployment rate for 2022. I think we could see those numbers move up, which would suggest to the market that uh, the Fed has more optionality to move earlier rather than later, and that would have a, a pretty big impact on on markets. Uh, you know, for speaking for you know for my markets. Um, Fixed income and uh, and FX, I, I would think that again the the front end of the curve would need to re reprice again higher. <laughs> so we've already had, we've already had a round trip, and then I think we'll you know move higher. But that that I think might be a little bit more longer lasting. Um, and while you know, while the team and I still like the idea of being short duration and uh, and seeing um, uh, curve steepening happen, not not only in Canada, but uh, sorry, not only in the U.S. but also in Canada. Um, if, if what I just said for the last few minutes or so around, uh, moving things up a little bit more quickly, uh, and the Fed getting a bit more aggressive and the market starts to think that that's the case, it will be challenging for, uh, it will be challenging for being for short duration at the long end of the curve. Uh, and we could be in an environment where we are, um, we're seeing a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, uh, steepening, uh, sorry, a little bit of, a little bit of flattening. Uh, okay. And potentially, uh, what we would call um, uh, bear flattening um, across the curve. 
So, so what does that mean? Uh, I guess tactically with your portfolios today, where are you? What bets are you putting in? You, you're seems like you're light lightening up on uh, very short term duration, but still want to be a little bit shorter than benchmark. So, how, how are you actually thinking about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we are. Um, I would say in the in the middle of it all as we speak in terms of in terms of making I would say tactical um, tactical positioning changes. Um, I think that. Uh, I think there's opportunity for investors to be short uh, the five-year part of the curve. Um, that's that that continues to be my favorite trade. And although we've seen a bit of a round trip on that, it is you know net net from when we started talking about it when you know at least U.S. five years were in the 80s. Uh, you know it's come up it's come up significantly, although although a little bit off the high after a, a slight a slight uh, round trip. I mean, the, the challenging thing I think on the uh, on the steepening versus the uh, the flattening side is, I mean, inflation is running so high that it's it's very challenging to and and the Fed's going to be on the sidelines more than it would have been during other cycles. That it's it's challenging to let that go and and not see uh, longer end yields rise. And that's kind of the the interesting that's the interesting dynamic at the moment. But at the same time. There's this idea that if um, if the Fed is uh, if the Fed is a little too aggressive uh, coming out of the gate next year, then it doesn't need to necessarily hike rates as much overall for the cycle, and that would and that would potentially keep uh, long end rates uh, a little bit a little bit lower uh, than than what you would normally expect to see in this type of uh, inflationary environment. And there's also because equities have done exceptionally well, sure. uh, a lot of these pension, a lot of these pension plans, defined benefit pension plans, are uh, very close to, or fully funded, or even maybe overfunded, and you, you need they need to stuff the mattress. I mean, they need they need to basically put money, uh, like take it's just, it's just risk management, it's asset liability management. Sure. They need to take take money away from from equities and. And buy fixed income, and then they generally buy longer-term fixed income. So that's you know obviously buying duration, and that synthetically keeps, uh, from a flow perspective, keeps yields lower than you might think they would need to be, uh, given the uh, kind of the fundamental or slash inflationary environment. So it's a very interesting dynamic than this this flows versus fundamentals. But back to your question, um, you know I think that I think we'll be looking at tactical alpha opportunities at the at the long end, and especially Canada versus U.S. versus uh, European opportunities, particularly, okay. and where and where there's and where there's opportunity, um, you know, kind of between those to take you know to take duration. Um, you know I would say the team uh, right now is is pretty is is still short uh, short duration overall versus versus benchmark, not short on an absolute basis, particularly. Um, on our uh, our core and core plus funds, um, but I could see that I could see that moving around here. But I think the data is is very important, particularly going forward for investors. So people that are listening here should really pay attention to the price data. No surprise, but things like the CPI are obvious. Keep an eye on things like the survey based data. So whatever inflation data comes out of uh, conference board uh, in the U.S. or the NFIB survey or the five to ten year inflation expectation line for the Michigan survey, those sorts of things. Because if if there's any hint that the Fed thinks that long term inflation expectations are becoming uh, unglued or unhinged, 
then it's going to change its tone. And that's going to get the Fed a little bit, a little bit more aggressive and the market's going to jump all over that. And, uh, and that's what's going to cause a pretty big flattener pretty quickly. And we'll see the, uh, the front end spike higher, uh, again. So we're very, we're very cognizant of that. And we're very, uh, we're kind of in data watching mode, um, at this point, which is a little bit, a little bit different, um, kind of short term, but I would, I would keep an eye on, on those kind of survey based price metrics, uh, for the next, the next little bit. Cause I think those will be very important going into the December FOMC, uh, in terms of the tone and, uh, and how the Fed will, will uh, conduct policy going forward after that. Dustin, thanks for, for the insights on all of that. As you mentioned, uh, people who are listening to the podcast could be looking at all of those things or simply outsource it to you and the team because clearly you have a very good handle on it and it's uh, an extraordinarily complex and dynamic environment. So thank you very much for taking the time to uh, walk through that with me uh, and I look forward to our next conversation. That sounds great. Thanks very much for having me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 